It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Pretty helpless feeling last night, wasn't it? Fly ball out to right field. Nobody knows where it's at. Tuesday mid-morning, Cameron Parker, Craig Way on his way back to Austin, Texas with the Texas baseball team. Jeff Howell will be in very shortly. And how are you guys doing, Texas Longhorn fans who stayed up pretty late last night? Watch Texas come all the way back from a 6-3 deficit. Had a couple chances to maybe put the go-ahead run across the plate, but ultimately Stanford would win game three last night, 7-6 off a walk-off hit. And they would advance to the College World Series under David Esker in a really good series, but a really tough way to lose, no doubt. A tough way to watch, so... Heartbroken, gut-wrenching. Let us know how you're feeling this morning on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Won't spend too much time on Texas baseball to start because once Jeff Howe gets here, we're going to dive into that all the way through. But what a great season for Texas baseball. No matter what, an awful way to lose for sure. But for this team, didn't really have... A number two, number three starter, Tanner Witt, obviously not even close to being what he was. Not 100% yet. Only lasted an inning last night. He kind of had to piece together the bullpen throughout the year for Coach Pierce. Didn't know going in who was going to be your nine guys, and I think Pierce found them. So uh, uh, up and down year. You had some great moments. You had some down moments. The Oklahoma sweep, the uh, two and barbecue, and the Big 12 championship tournament in Arlington. But what a way for this team to bounce back in Miami, and to come through in Stanford. Um, I'll end on this note before we get into some NBA Finals talk. When you have Texas A&M fans talking, maybe even defending and telling you how how much that ending sucked and talking trash about the Stanford baseball field that is known as Sunken Diamond, that maybe tells you everything you need to know. Again, Specs text line, 512-337-CB had the sunset out there because he's out there on the West Coast, uh, not till 9 p.m. twilight, so he was able to uh, enjoy the sunset. It was pretty dark here. Uh, after that ball dropped the ninth inning, so did a full bottle of Bacardi, says Longhorn Bear. Awful ending, spectacular season. Go UT football 2023. Yeah, Texas football is the next thing. Coming up, heartbroken this morning. One other texture says, uh, another one, while the ending was very difficult to watch, let us not forget, had it not been for the play out of the outfield group, this team is probably not even playing baseball last night. And that's correct. Think about the two plays in the Miami region, right? D.C. had that Superman play out in right field. E.K. robbed a home run. I mean, even the, the inning before with D.C. throwing out a base runner in the eighth. I mean, who knew? You know, what happens? Maybe Sanford goes ahead and puts across that go-ahead run in the eighth inning. Either way, they did pull it off, but that texture is correct. Texas outfield, the defense was phenomenal, especially this postseason. Texas not going to be there without that play. And the pitching as well from LBJ in the Miami series, St. Morehouse, he had a, a solid performance last night, Lucas Gordon coming in. I mean, he did his job just, unfortunately, with those lights coming in. And we'll hear more about that from Jeff Howe and even Craig Way, who was out there. But because of words that, the lights basically just basically just 
are pointed downwards on the outfielders, and when you hit a moonshot like that up in the sky, if you don't ha- if you don't see it off the bat, that's it. You're, you're not going to find it. More text coming on the Specs text line. Just shattered, but what a great season for a rebuilding year. Next year could be special. Yeah. I mean, it felt like for me going in this year, it was a super regional was the ceiling. And obviously that may have changed depending on who was A&M in this matchup versus Stanford. But to get where this team was at, you know, coming off the opening weekend to start the series, uh, the downfalls in the Big 12, Big 12 regular season, if you, you would have taken, you would have taken a, a game three to go to the College World Series, right? All I got to say is good luck with Wake Forest. It says one of their specs, Texture. Yep, Wake Forest, uh, one of the best pitching groups in the country. That'll be a fun fun opening matchup of Stanford Bats versus the Wake Forest uh, bullpen. Absolutely gutted from the loss, but considering it was a, quote, rebuild year, unquote, still proud of these guys 81 days until Texas football. And then the lights, we have better lights at Concordia Baseball Field. Yeah, uh, I've been out there at the Tornado Field, and uh, that is correct. That is correct. But either way, Texas falls 7-6. to six. We're going to have audio from Dylan Campbell and Coach David Pierce uh, throughout this show, probably the Longhorn note. But once again, uh, Jeff Howell will be here pretty shortly. And when we get him in, we're going to dive into the Texas, fo- Texas baseball I lost last night. Craig White is on his way back from Palo Alto. He'll be in tomorrow for sure in the rest of the week before uh, before everyone starts taking their summer vacations. But wanted to talk about uh, Game 5 last night in the NBA Finals. Denver Nuggets, your 2022-2023 NBA champions. They knocked out the Miami Heat at home last night, 94-89. to in five games, went 16-4 and four throughout the playoffs and clearly demonstrated that they were the best team in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, swept the Lakers in four that were, it was pretty, it was a competitive series, even though it was a sweep. It was four really competitive games. Five games in this one, it was, Lakers series was probably a little bit more competitive. You had that game two that Miami did win, however, and they shot the lights out from three. They shot 68% in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, it looked like, oh, wait, did they figure out Jokic? No, nope, they didn't. Jokic is still the best player in the world right now. He still figured out Miami. They won three straight games, including two on the road in South Beach. Uh, and Jokic, of course, named MVP last night. And this is a really, really, really great story. Lowest drafted player to win the finals MVP since Dennis Johnson, who went 29th. He was a first-round draft pick in 1979. as uh, the third, just the third, second-round pick to win the finals MVP, joining Willis Reed. and actually, Sorry, Johnson, that 79, so that was considered the first-round pick because there was not 30 teams in the NBA yet. I stand corrected. But just the third finals MVP, that is a second-round draft pick. Malone won the finals MVP in 83, but he was actually... Technically wasn't drafted by an NBA player because he was with the ABA, the Utah Stars. Jokic 28-16-4 last night. And if you caught the game, you caught the ending, I think what summarizes Jokic so much is game ends, confetti drops. What are you doing? If, if, you're, if you win an NBA Finals, what are you doing? In that moment, you're celebrating, right? You're running across. Maybe you're going up to the scoring monitor. You're taking your shirt off, you know, throwing it around like a towel. You're screaming. You're, you're finding your buddies. You're doing whatever. Jokic is finding every single Miami Heat player and dapping them up, saying great series. He just won an NBA Finals, and he's, he's going over to the Miami Heat ball boy and saying, hey, great job. I, I, incredible uh, unselfishness from Jokic. Elisa Salters interviews him right there on the court before the ceremony. I think she asked him, what does this what does this win mean to you or how do you feel? And Jokic, it's good. It's good. Uh uh season's over, job's done, and we can go home. What? Not not yeah, we're gonna be out till six AM popping bottles, Lisa. No, he just he wants to go home and as Kevin Durant tweeted out last week, he wants to go home and, and FaceTime his horses. That's what he wants to do, I think, last night. And it's not it's not a, a slide against the city of Denver. It's just who he is as a dude. He just 
he doesn't care about you know the the lights and and the fame. He just wants to go out and hoop. He wants to go out and just uh, eviscerate NBA teams, win that championship, and then go home to the summer with his horses and his kids. Uh, and, and congrats to Jokic uh, on doing that. Best part in the league, two two time MVP regular season. Now he's got a Finals MVP, and now he's got an NBA championship ring. If you follow the NBA closely, you know all this Joel Embiid, Jokic. You know, not really a beef, but what the media and the fans think there is like a, a competition. There's not a competition, guys. Jokic is the best player in the league last night. There's a reason why he won the championship and why Embiid has not gotten to the finals. Now, asterisk yet, yet, but Jokic, when he has the ball in his hands, he can do anything. And Embiid is just not that type of player. But uh, I don't want to turn this into a Joel Embiid rant because I like Embiid, but what Jokic can do as a player. I mean, he's a, what, a seven-foot point guard, a seven-foot Larry Bird. Uh, he's got the footwork of Kevin McHale, the, the the passing of Bird and Magic Johnson, an incredible player, and he rightfully so won the MVP, finals MVP. Uh, Jamal Murray, uh, an incredible game last night as well. What a story for Jamal Murray, member towards ACL. Denver without him for all of last year, you know, were a 60 with Jokic when he won the MVP, but they got dispatched by Golden State pretty early, but you saw how much that meant. To Murray last night in tears as as in the celebration conference center court. You know, he, he's in tears, the, the crowd going wild. And talked to the owner last night, you know, said, thank you for not giving up on me. Not giving up on me, staying patient. Because, you know, with, with those injuries, a lot of times teams, you know, they want to push for guys to come back. There was murmurs last year. Remember that Murray, like, hey, can he come back for the playoffs when Denver was a six seed? He did not. And Although Denver lost, I believe, in just five games of Golden State, it was the right move because he came back this year healthy and he played an incredible postseason, a big reason why. I mean, that two-man game between Jokic and, and Murray last night was incredible. And if you watch that game, you know how ugly it was. I mean, Denver started off not great. There was just some some sloppy plays, sloppy turnovers. I think overall, Denver shot 17% from beyond the arc, Miami. 25%. Denver was 57% from the three-throw line. A pretty ugly basketball. Neither team made a lot of threes. Denver with five. Miami with nine. So 14 combined threes, which is insane considering we're in the we're in the era where it is the three-point shooting era of NBA basketball. And final score, 94-89. Regular season, you know what? You see games going 135 to 130. And tonight... We didn't see that because defense does win championships. Aaron Gordon, uh, very underrated player this series. And how about uh, on the heat with Jimmy Butler? Was 2-for-12 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, basically just, you didn't know he was on the court. I think there was times last night in the broadcast where Breen and, and Jackson and Van Gundy were just, you know, what's going on with Jimmy Butler? You can't, you can't have him off to the side. You can't win this game off your role players. And there was a couple sets. I don't know, it was a third, late third quarter, early fourth, where Miami ran four straight possessions with Butler just sitting on the three-point wing, didn't touch the ball. I mean, think about it. How many times do you see Jokic go a possession, possessions without touching the ball? Probably zero, right? Even if he doesn't take the shot, the offense still rolls through him. And at points last night, it just it wasn't with Butler. The You could bring up the ankle injury if you want. You know, we've heard rumors that it's, you know, how bad is it? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we haven't. We'll find something out in the next couple of days if, how about how bad that ankle injury was. But either way, they were not going to be able to win that game with him just being two for 12. And to his credit, turned it on. Uh, back-to-back threes. He drew a, a three-point foul, which was, I thought, an awful call. Um, the uh, head umpire, head referee said that, you know, Butler kicked his foot out, which is – I think BS because what in the world are you supposed to do as a defender? Is Aaron Gordon you're supposed to lean back while you're in the air trying to block a shot? I mean, it's it's not a basketball play. Butler made the three throws, but fortunately for Denver, they were able to actually pull it out, so it didn't matter. And then that three-pointer that Butler took with, what, 15 seconds left, kind of a turnaround, fadeaway. Not a great shot. Not a great shot, but either way, Denver Nuggets – Pulled off the series in five games. So congrats to the Nuggets. Congrats to Jokic, Murray, that entire team. As they are now 
defending champions and open up next year as the favorite uh, plus 475 according to Caesar Sportsbook. All right, Craig Way out today. Jeff Howe will be in pretty shortly, and we're going to hit more on Texas baseball. Got some Texas football stuff, recruiting notes, recruiting notes, excuse me, on the Longhorn Notebook, and more as Light the Tower here on this Tuesday rolls on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Light the tower. Back here, rolling along, hour number one of Light the Tower. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker. Good NBA segment, Cam. Good job handling that. Appreciate it. Glad you're back. Had some non-work things pop up this morning, so sometimes life happens. But I got no problem. That's why I like the tower. We're we're a different show. It's a different breed of cat on this show. Like we can we can be we can exist in multiple forms. We're like a hybrid. We're like an edge defender, right? Like we can we can play with our hand on the ground. We can stand up. We can drop in coverage. Maybe even pull a little Micah Parsons and get out on the slot, cover someone one on one. Whatever the case is, we can we can be malleable to borrow a Rod Babers term. It's it's like a, a game three in a, in a playoff series, like last night. It's like you know maybe maybe a starter is going to come in and pitch the ninth. You know maybe Jeff Howe's going to come in for the second hour. Who knows? We don't know. Maybe maybe Craig will come in here for one. Maybe segment. he's coming in, yeah, just for an inconceivable. We don't know. That's like, a listen that, though. It's like telling your starter on his bullpen day, hey, we need you for three outs. You give us three outs. That's all, you, that's all you need. It's like Quinn Matthews saying, "Hey, I might come in today." I'm like, no, you're not. We pitched 103,000 pitches last night, but you know, Look, love man, the mentality. The baseball gods don't—they're not—they're unforgiving, right? They don't forget either. Um, that uh, that th- 336 pitches in a week is going to catch up with Quinn Matthews at some point. Yeah, right. Unless he's just got this bionic arm that we don't know about, and he's a Modern miracle. The, the the human baseball pitcher arm is not equipped to throw that many pitches these days. Uh, I'm really curious to see because I'm, I'm assuming he'll start Saturday against Wake Forest. I'm curious to see what he looks like against the best team in baseball because he, I mean, he pitched incredible. That was an incredible, that was an old school type MLB starter performance, but there's a reason why we don't see that too much anymore. I had to, I had to run up to Card Traders of Austin yesterday and, uh, Shout out to Walt and the crew up there. I was talking to Walt about this, and I was like, look, I was like, we're talking about Wake Forest, and I was like, man, Alabama's not a bad team. Alabama's a good team. They got they got hot towards the end of the year. Remember, like, little do we forget, like, how, how often we forget that, you know, they had to fire their head coach. They got in that betting scandal yeah. a few weeks ago, and then they got hot, started playing really good baseball, were playing good baseball, and, dude, Wake Forest went through them like you know what they're a goose man. They just it was it was not runs. it was not a competitive super regional out of Winston Salem. But that 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 bracket bracket one in Omaha, which starts Friday, the one Texas would have been in. That is going to be a mother, right? You got Wake Forest and Stanford. Wake Forest and Stanford in one matchup. Then you've got an SEC clash with LSU and Tennessee. And like I said yesterday, man, Tennessee, you know. Tony Vitello, easily, easily the most hated coach in college baseball. Like, I can't think. I've yet to run into a fan base in the SEC or college baseball period that has anything nice to say about Tony Vitello. If Tony Vitello is your head coach, you probably love the guy, Mm -hmm. but he's not your head Mm -hmm. coach, so you just loathe the guy with every fiber of your being. But Tennessee, you know, they had that Maui Ahuna deal where was he going to be eligible, was he not? They got him eligible. Uh, Seems like they've kind of got it figured out. Dude, LSU... We saw LSU earlier this season. In terms of a talent standpoint, there might not be. There probably isn't anybody better in this field of eight in Omaha than LSU. There's going to be a really good team out of that bracket 
out of bracket one that's two and barbecued. One of those four is going to be two and barbecued. Yeah. That's just that's hard to wrap your head around, man. Some really good baseball. There's a really good baseball played in the Stanford Super Regional over the last three days. And, man, I heard you on the way in, Cam, talk about that helpless feeling. Like, I, I wanted to just push my hands through the TV and just, like, move Dylan Campbell and Eric Kennedy. Like, oh, just move. And, you know, I, I saw Kendall Rogers, talk, our good friend from D1Baseball.com, and, and some A&M fans talking about it. A yeah. lot of people talk about it after the game. Like, look, man, that twilight and, – and to back up something CB said, CB lives in that Pacific Northwest, and, and I – you know, I went on a vacation, uh, this was probably about 10 years ago, to Seattle. Spent about a week in Seattle. Did the whole whale-watching bit, Mariners game, you know, all the touristy stuff. Oh. And, was that a date? Whale-watching? Well, was that a date or anything? That was my wife. Me and my wife went oh, Okay, there. so it was yeah. a date. Well, that's cute. Took took some drama meme before I went on the boat. It was good. It was fun times. <laughs> um, but at any rate, no, I was floored. I'm like, man, it was like 9 o'clock, and I'm like, dude, the sun is... Forget sun setting, like the sun is still out yeah. at like eight thirty, nine o'clock. So in Northern California, you get that twilight, man. And if you know everybody that's covered a game, played there, knows about the environment. Sunken Diamond was on the Twitter machine last night saying, "Look, man, if you haven't, if you're not used to playing in that outfield and shagging fly balls at at twilight, it it is extremely hard to adjust to." and I'll back up. I'll back up what. Uh, by the way, Specs text line is open three three seven three seven seven six. I'll back up what some of our texters were saying in the first segment. Nobody, no Texas fan, should be blaming Dylan Campbell or Eric Kennedy for that loss. Nope. Because you're not even you're not in that position if it's not for those two guys. Yep. Uh, you know, Eric Kennedy. You realize Eric Kennedy went seven for thirteen in the Super Regional. Insane. He, he's his his batting average is below three hundred going into the tournament. And he left it with it above 300 because finished, of how well he finishes the year at 306, and then DC uh, didn't didn't swing a hot bat the first two games. Two for five last night, had the uh, the game time uh, yeah. single, and then man that that nine five double play throwing in, throwing in from right field, just a one just a, a, a short hopper to Peyton Powell at third. Dude, that is <laughs> you've got to go go back and pull like old video of like Clemente, Vlad Sr., Jose Guillen, I remember one time I made a throw like that. Like it's there's only a handful of times in your baseball watching experience you'll see a throw like that from right field to get a runner tagging at third base. Yaziel Puig the, the, type that, throw. Yeah, that was that perfect right on the line. So you're not in that position if it's not for your two outfielders. But you know you know what, Cam, let's go ahead and just just hit the notebook sounder right here. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. So, I'm trying to think of where I want to start with this. Let's go ahead and, 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 and hit the Dylan Campbell audio. So we got some Dylan Campbell audio. We got some, we'll, we'll save the David Pierce audio for later, but I want, I want to hit this Dylan Campbell audio real quick. Courtesy of uh, Roger Wallace. Roger talked to Dylan Campbell and David Pierce last night uh, after the game, and uh, this, is, this is Roger's interview with D.C. Honestly, I don't even know. Um, I mean, like you saw, it was just just – Mother Nature, I mean, it was a twilight sky, and me and EK couldn't see the ball um, off the bat. So, I mean, that was just very fortunate on there and that it happened like that. Um, I mean, I don't – I guess we just got to move forward, I guess. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it now. It's, it's over. Uh, you feel so bad for him, man. He had in, – in, in the annals of school history, Dylan Campbell's 2023 is going to be one of the better seasons a Texas outfielder has ever had when you look at the totality of it. A 38-game hitting streak, first-team All-Big 12. Should be on some All-American teams. I don't know if he will be, but uh, you realize after last night, 26 stolen bases Jeez. for Dylan Campbell? Yeah, just just a tremendous season, and I really hope that people don't remember it for he and Eric Kennedy not being able to find a fly ball in the twilight at Sunken Diamond. You know, I... Uh, I think uh, I've thought a lot about this game, Cam. I thought about it last night. Thought about it when I woke up this morning, and it really—I'm supposed to be neutral, you know. Like we're got that big J journalistic integrity, right? We're supposed to not be homers, but man, I—I just felt numb. Like man, this—it was such a great. I mean, that was three days of high-level grown man baseball. And to have it end like that, it was like, it's like a great movie with a horrible ending. 
It's like, no, no, it can't end like this. It's like the way the Sopranos ended. Like, dude, that really, that's how you're going to end this, this great series, this great epilogue of shows, this great, this great lineage. It's just how, it's how it's going to end. It's going to end like this. And it, that, that was the worst part for me is that, that series, that super deserved a better ending. Yeah. And that's no fault on anybody. Again, I'm not placing blame on anybody. That's not Dylan Campbell's fault. That's not Eric Kennedy's fault. It's just one of those things, man. As a great man once said, that's the way baseball go. So now you start to look at the totality of the game, though, and I think if you're a Texas fan, you've got to appreciate the fight that this team showed coming back twice from a three-run deficit. And you got contributions from different people throughout the lineup, man, throughout the series. Uh, you know, Jared Thomas came through uh, with some big hits. We talked about Kennedy. We talked about Dylan Campbell. Mitch Daly just uncorked a home run that I didn't think he was capable of hitting in game two. And Jack O'Dowd came through with two doubles last night. So up and down the lineup, you got contributions. You come back from two different three-run deficits. But I, I think at the end of the day, Cam, this is what it boils down to, man. And, and when you lose a game the way Texas did, this is kind of what you're left to think about. Yes, you think about that play. You think about the the Alberto Rios thought it was a home run, wasn't a home run where he's on second base. Uh, you think about some of the, the the walks you issued, some of those self-inflicted wounds. Uh, and I wrote this in, you know, you can go get my game recap at Horns 24-7. Uh, Texas pitchers combined to issue six walks through two wild pitches, one of which, one of the very few mistakes Zane Morehouse made in his outing was a wild pitch that scored a run from third. Uh, they allowed the leadoff man to reach base in seven of nine innings last night. Yep. And then you go offensively, Texas stranded 11 runners on base, went three for 12 at the plate with runners in scoring position. They had plenty of opportunities to increase their, to take a lead, increase a lead, build a lead, and it just didn't happen. And when you don't do those little things throughout the game, man, eventually it adds up in the end, and it just added up to Texas not being able to do enough to get out a Palo Alto with the win over Stanford. So, Cam, I'll ask you this. Go at the start of the season, Craig and I talked about this, and we kind of were setting the bar for. And and I understand. I no, trust me. I've been covering this baseball program for over a decade. I've been following it, watching it my entire life. I understand full and well the baseball program at the University of Texas has at times unrealistic expectations, but they're expectations that are rooted in in a history of winning and winning at a very high level. I think other than men swimming and diving, that's the one sport on campus that I think can live, you know, like, you know, okay, how we talk about in football camps, some Texas fans just have unrealistic expectations of, of what Texas is and what Texas is supposed to be. Everybody wants Texas to win, but you, you, you get what I'm saying, right, Cam? Mm-hmm. You following me? Uh, men swimming and diving and baseball, I think, are the two sports on that campus that you can live in that rare area. You can live in that stratosphere because that's the standard that has been set over a long period of time. So knowing that, full well knowing that, Going into the year, knowing it was going to be a real rebuilding year, I said, you know what? If this team gets in a position to where the, a legitimate position to where they can host a regional, then it'll probably been a pretty good year. And had they not gone to and barbecued in the Big 12 tournament, they, they probably would have been hosting a regional. But to get to the Super Regional, to be tied in the ninth inning with Stanford, the top eight national seed on the road, in a year where you win a share of the Big 12 championship, that's a good year. But both things can be true. It can be a really good year for this team and a good year for this program. But as a fan, you can still be disappointed because as a Texas fan, your expectation is, look, Texas is, I think it's now, Texas has been in half of the College World Series that have been played. Your expectation is that the season should at least, at the very least, end in Omaha. So you can be disappointed that it didn't end there, and it's certainly disappointing that it didn't end there, but you can also take stock of the fact that, look, compared, given what you thought this team was going to be at the outset, you can say it was a successful year. I don't. I just hate, Cam, looking at sports as being just a complete binary thing. It is this or it is that. It is black or it is white. It is a win or it is a loss. There's a lot of gray area in that. And, oh, dude, the Scream at People shows are going to be talking about yeah, this fly ball. Yeah. Dude, just... Texas fans, just turn turn your TVs off or at least mute them because you're not going to want to listen to this hot garbage throughout the morning. 
what well, I'm, I'm not talking about myself talking. I'm talking about the Scream at People shows because some of the stuff that comes out of my pie hole can be hot garbage at times. But I digress. Where do you come out, Cam? That's where I come out. It, it You can say it's a disappointment because Texas fans expect to, at the very least, make it to Omaha. But, man, I... It's it's a year where you you can't say this was a failure of a year. It was a maybe not a great year, but just a a good year for this program. Right there with you. I I said it in the beginning of the show. I thought the ceiling for this team was a super regional appearance, and the fact that in game two, you at one point had a lead over Stanford. In game three, you came all the way back, and you were an out away, a fly ball away from going to extra innings against number eight team in the country who has probably one of the best batting orders, I think, in the country, Jeff. I mean, all nine guys absolutely rake. They rake. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the stat of seven of nine guys getting on base. And they were, I mean, the start of the game against center wit, they were hammering, hammering what wit was throwing off of him. Which, by, which by the way, can I, can I just say something please. on that real quick? You know, I'd like to think that the, the people that text into our show and listen to our show follow Texas baseball on a pretty regular basis. But then you get to last night, and, and dude, Twitter's such a cesspool anyway. You get on the Twitter machine, and it's people that haven't watched baseball most of the year until the last couple of weeks. Why are they starting Tanner Witt? He's terrible. Why are they starting Witt? Why are they starting Witt? Okay, genius, Casey Stingle. <laughs> look at that lineup and tell me. Look at that pitching staff and tell me who you're going to start in game three. You could have started Stelly, but Stelly threw 71 pitches on Sunday. You weren't going to start him. Nope. Okay. Could you have started Morehouse? Maybe, but he's been so good out of the bullpen, and in an all-hands-on-deck situation, you've got to save him thinking, hey, if we got a chance to win the game or we need three critical outs, he's at the point now where you can trust him to an extent to come get those three outs. You know you had Geno available for an inning or two, depending on if the pitches were high-stress pitches or not. What else were you going to do? Who else were you going to run out there? And that's what hurt Texas so much this year, Jeff, is that Coach Pierce needed Tanner with the pitch, and he probably he wasn't. You know, he's not where he was last year. The, no. the Philo is the Philo's not there. The movement is there at times, but the Philo's not there. But he was being called upon to be your game three starter because Pierce could not rely on anyone else. The v, with with what the Velo didn't didn't concern me, and it's not really a concern. It's more of an observation. I didn't think the lack of Velo was as much of an issue for Tanner as much as it was just. He just couldn't consistently control his breaking ball. Yeah, you know when when he did, man, when he when he could control that curveball, it was it was a wipeout pitch for him. Mm-hmm. But we saw it in Coral Gables, and we saw it last night. They're just too many counts, and you get into two strike counts, and you're trying to put guys away with that breaking ball, and it's just it's in the dirt or it's it's run away from guys. It's and they're not they're able to pick it up and not chase it and take it. It, it just it just wasn't working for him on a consistent basis. The, the Velo will get there for him. Like he'll be, you know, I'm sure once he gets drafted, and I don't know if he's going to pitch again this year, but you know they'll get him with their the team that drafts him will get him with their medical staff. They'll make sure he's good to go by 2024. He'll get back to 94, 95 where he was before for sure. But that's I think when you're coming off TJ, and I, again I asked David this before the season started, and he said the guys that he's been around that have had Tommy John. The, the last thing to come is just that ability to just not think and just let it rip where yeah. you're not thinking about the elbow anymore. It seems like Tanner's still kind of at that point, uh, and I think trusting himself to just rip it, trusting himself with the breaking ball, that's kind of the last step he needs to make. It's just it's one of those deals where he's just not going to do it at the University of Texas because uh, he's going to get drafted and probably get drafted somewhat high because he's, he's got stuff that good. In the Specs text line, it's, it's like 70-30 split about – this is probably one of the best years coaching-wise that David Pierce has done. He's earned, you know, I fully believe he's the man for the job. Now, there's also that 30%, Jeff, where it's like how how can you use the term rebuilding year as an excuse knowing that you have guys, you know who's going to be leaving at the end of the year. I'm just curious, where do you fall back on, on the rebuilding year knowing that after last year you come out that College World Series appearance and you knew, like, okay, we're probably we're gonna, we're going to lose some heavy hitters, but we're still probably you know one or two bullpen guys because that's what hurt the bullpen right was Aaron Nixon just completely 
went off the map in the College World Series last year, ends up transferring, has a great year. But you knew going in you needed more bullpen guys, and it felt like this season still was kind of the same issue. Your bullpen the last two years, last last year, your bullpen regressing, and like in the case of Knicks and some guys imploding, that caught, that that lineup last year was good enough to go win you a national championship. 100%. That last year's team frustrated me a lot more than this year's team ever did. Like I thought last year, I'll be I'll be point blank honest. I don't think David Pierce did a great job coaching last yeah. year. Yeah, that team was so talented and could do so much damage on offense in so many ways. They were able to overcome a lot of mistakes, and that's not even that's before we knew that Murphy Staley was going to have an All American season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew Melendez was going to have a big year, maybe not the kind of year that he ended up having. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. But, dude, Hodo, Ardwan, Faltini, even though for some people Stacey struck out too much, he was still a really good player, really talented player. One of the reasons you had one of the maybe the biggest reason, he and Ardwan, that you had the best defensive infield in the country last yeah. year. But that team was so talented, it could overcome a lot of mistakes. It could mask a lot of your deficiencies until they just couldn't anymore, until – you know, your two starters ran out of gas by the end of the year, and you had really nothing else to go to. A little bit. Jared Southard's year last year kind of reminds me of Zane Morehouse's year this year. A guy that you look at him unquestionably has great stuff. Just can he put it together on somewhat of a consistent basis? And by the end of the year, Southard did. But he was one of the very few guys that you could count on out of the bullpen last year. So your bullpen last year, I think, cost you a chance to go win a national championship. That is the thing that disappointed me the most with this year's team is, you know, you parted ways with Sean Allen. You brought in Woody Williams. You brought in some JC guys. You had an offseason to develop guys. You said things were going to change. And we still pretty much, by and large, got the same results out of the bullpen. Yeah. With the exception that Morehouse was lights out in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So taking all that into consideration, yeah. I, I think, and, and, you know, I don't. Okay, so going, I'm kind of all over the place, but going back to the rebuilding thing, it's. It's hard to talk about rebuilding years in college sports when you have the transfer portal, but I did feel like last year that was the window the, the window was open for, for that brief time for that core group that left. Melendez, Arduan, Hodo, Faltini, Pete Hansen, Murph going down the list. You know, some of those guys that had been with you that got here in 2020 in that offseason after going 27 and 27, last year was the last year for that core group of guys. That was kind of, that was actually my my uh, advanced column leading into the College World Series mm-hmm. was how good that group had been, and this was this was it for them because you knew most of those guys were going to get drafted and signed. A lot of them had already graduated, so it was going to be the end. So I think it was just rebuilding from the standpoint that you had this great group, a national championship caliber group, and the window had closed. So now you've got to figure out, okay, well, what is the next group? What does this next wave look like? And at Texas, you're always going to get talented players, but can you get enough young, talented players that are ready to contribute and mix that in with your portal additions, with JC additions that can contribute? And maybe you can look throughout the lineup and maybe you'll find you a guy like, like a Peyton Powell that just needed to get healthy yeah. and, and find a spot on the field. So it was a Yes, you can term it a rebuilding year, but rebuilding years at Texas are, are very different than some other people's rebuilding years. Not every, I mean, some people would love to rebuild and say, oh, yeah, we'll bring in Jalen Flores and, and Jared Thomas. And we'll, Charlie we'll, Hurley. We'll rebuild. Yeah. yeah, you get Gary Goodman. And then, honestly, this, this is why I'm not, I'm not too worried about next year because we'll talk about this in hour number two. I know a lot of people have questions about who's coming back, who might leave. We'll, we'll get to this in hour two. But I'm not really worried, Cam, about whatever holes they have to fill in terms of position players, because whether it's whether it's been Cam Williams or Mike Antico, Skyler Messenger, Gilmet, Porter Brown, even Tanner Carlson. Tanner Carlson was playing really well until he broke his forearm and missed the rest of the year. Got hurt in that West Virginia series. And he still has, he has a year left, right? I think Carlson's done. He's done. Yeah. Okay. So I know yeah. Ek's done. He's been here for five years? Yes. Uh, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Yeah, five years. They got used the COVID year this year. Um, Porter Brown's already graduated. Yeah. So, and then the guys that are going to get drafted. But David Pierce and his staff, dude, their evaluations of position players in the portal have been really damn good. Like, I don't think they get enough credit for that. On the other hand, 
the JC additions and the portal additions to the pitching staff have left a lot to be desired. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm David Pierce. Keep doing what you're doing, and I, don't, I know Philip Miller's pretty heavily involved working the portal and, and helping on the on the the player talent acquisition side of it from his off field role. If I'm David Pierce, I've really got to figure out what where is the disconnect. Craig and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Where is the disconnect between you and your pitching staff? Yeah. Where either either you're not teaching it the right way, the the players are incapable of processing the information. Like what? Like where is? Figure out where that disconnect is and fix it. You know, and that's that's tough. We, we've seen it in multiple sports. Coaches, managers, whatever, trying to figure out that disconnect and get it fixed. Some, there's a chance you might not. But that, to me, is the biggest thing you got to figure out in the offseason. Figure out that disconnect and fix it. Do you think the, the firing and then the hiring of Williams kind of hurt Texas in the portal going after pitchers? You know, with players not really knowing who the pitching coach was going to be? Well, I part of it, I also think, too, and this is easier said than done. I was, you know, there's some fans that, you know, and I, granted, when I say some, I'm talking about a very, very small percentage of the listening audience. You're like, man, talking and, and fan, I hear, I see it on the flagship message board at Horse 24/7. Fans talk about, well, we need to pay more in terms of NIL. You got to <laughs> understand how NIL works. This isn't CDC sitting at his desk with a checkbook and him and David Pierce sitting down in like SMU style making a payroll. Like, it's not how it works. Like, you got to get the collectives and there's different things you got to do and who knows where nil is headed now that now that the god help us all that the u.s government's involved in this thing so who knows where the hell it's going to mm-hmm. end up but i think from a baseball standpoint cam the, the best way to, to help maybe get some quality arms in here especially through the portal you got to take stock of your nil situation figure it out and see what what needs to be done to help out because you can't tell me that there aren't texas baseball supporters that have some pretty deep pockets that are willing to do whatever it takes, get with a collective, be a part of one, and help get some talented players in here. Yeah, I think you look at what RT's done and what Chris Beard did the year before the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I think you got to follow that same path because you know with tech, with recruiting in baseball, unlike basketball, like these kids still can you know they're waiting until the June, or the July 9th draft to figure out whether or not you know am I going to go, am I drafted high enough? What's that signing bonus going to be? How does it compare to the NIL deal? Because some of these kids, you know, maybe they want to go to college, but they also, you get offered a six, seven-figure signing bonus. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, I'm, I'm going to take it. And, and that hurts your recruiting. Yeah. And you've also got guys, Lucas Gordon will be in this in this group, Dylan Campbell's in this group, uh, Porter Brown. There's a couple of guys. Got, basically, if you don't take the money this year, you're going to lose all of your leverage if you come back to school. Yeah. And then it's kind of, hey, Whatever you're offered, even if you're a top 10 round pick in 24, man, whatever you're offered is what you're offered, and there's really no room to negotiate. Mm-hmm. You got all your leverage now. That's why, man, I, I think the guy in the best position, honestly, man, is LBJ. Because LBJ's got two more years left. So he, he can come back and, and come back in 24, get picked in the 24 draft, and still have some leverage. Maybe not as much as he has this year, but he still has leverage in 24. Uh, but I think he's in a really good spot. But that's that's the tough spot for for DC and Gino and some of those other guys that are that are third year guys that could come back for one more year. If you come back, your your leverage will be non-existent. So uh, I know that's a lot to digest, uh, but we'll keep we'll keep processing it. Specs text line is open three three seven three seven seven six. We need to have a specs text line cleanup at the top of hour two because it's been popping been, this there's morning. There's been a lot there's, come there's through. There's some takes. There's some words being said, in the and, and, some, and some good, some good stuff. I know, you know, sometimes we we talk about the bad, but there's some really good stuff coming out on the specs text line. Some really good stuff I've seen on the flagship message board at Horns twenty four seven, and and even I've seen some level headed takes on the Twitter machine. Believe it or not, you just gotta you gotta wait, you gotta you know wade through the trash, dig through it, but you'll you'll find a few gems in there at times. Uh, I don't know if we'll find any gems in Inconceivable, but we'll do our best when we come back and wrap up hour number one here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. 
I don't think it means what you think it means. All right, camera producer's choice. You want to hear about a fat cat or a dude scaling a skyscraper in South Korea? Ooh, fat cat for sure. Okay, we'll go fat cat. Uh, this reminded me of uh, my cat. I, you know, he's a a solid black cat. I just, you know, I don't know. He's just he's pretty much useless. He doesn't catch bugs or anything. He's he's getting a little a little thick around the midsection. To uh, <laughs> real quick, <laughs> I think it was yesterday's show. You talked about. Uh, the commercial with the boardroom cat. Yeah, did you see it? Saw it last night. I think it was uh, on the NBA Finals. Actually, it was a cat, and it's it's about it's, it's like the will was given out for their dead the dead dad and Mister Marvel's got everything. Yeah, great commercial. I'm all on board with you. I don't know how you could have a serious conversation <laughs> while watching that commercial. It's incredible. I uh, I don't know. I like I like pretending that my cat cusses me out all the time, just the way the way he stares at mm-hmm. me. You know. And I'll do stuff every now and then. Like, yeah, he hasn't worn it in a few years, but I got him a little bow tie just so he looks, you know, dapper walking okay. around the house. Professional. Yeah. 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 I was like, you need to look professional, Mr. Smudge. And, you know, he's like my daughter loves that cat. And he just every time she comes running at him to scratch him and hug him, he just like, you know, does the wiggle thing and then just starts freaking out looking yeah. for somewhere to hide. Yeah. Uh, but this woman's pet, Cam. Uh, is now the size of an adult male bobcat. A woman's oh, pet cat Lord. has grown so big that it is now the size of an adult male bobcat and weighs in at just over 24 pounds. Dexter is an F6 Savannah cat. I have no idea what that is. F6. Mm. It was an F5 tornado. F6 must be <laughs> like the end of the world or something. I don't know. Uh, he is six generations removed from a wild cat native to various regions of Africa. Dexter is seven years old, weighs exactly 24.3 pounds, measures a whopping 35 inches. Wow. This, you, you remember? Uh, it, it's, not, it's not like an obese cat, is it? Well, he, he's he's quite, he's more like the Andre the Giant of cats. Like, you, I don't know if you ever heard oh. the story of like when Andre the Giant would go to Japan because he wrestled in Japan quite a bit. Uh, he couldn't use the toilets because the toilets were too small wow. over there. So uh-huh. he had to basically line the bathtub with toilet paper, with uh, newspaper. And oh, Lord. Relieve himself. Yeah. Uh, this cat is the Andre the Giant of cats because he has to use a storage bin for a litter box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, life is rough for Dexter. Uh, he could, he, Dexter is so big that he, he can only play with dog toys and eat dog treats. Yeah, he's got that Andre the Giant gimmick going on, dude. He's just... A very, a very large cat. Uh, Laura Kay, uh, she's his owner. She was looking for an out-of-the-ordinary cat when she paid 1,900 pounds, about 2,400 U.S. dollars, for Dexter to a breeder in 2016. Uh, she's a laser technician from West Lincoln in Ontario, Canada. Quote, I buy him dog toys because if I get him tiny little cat toys, he'll just destroy them. She said she bought him, quote, the biggest cat tower she could find. Quote, but it's still way too small for him. She added, quote, cat treats are too small for him as well. If the ingredients are all the same, which they often are, I buy him dog treats. Mm. The most difficult difficult thing to size up for Dexter was his litter box, which Kay said was never she was never able to find. Instead, it's why she's using a huge plastic crate. Cam, I don't know if you can see this, but this is the cat on the woman's shoulder. Look how big that cat is. Oh, good Lord. Dude, I'm telling you, he's not fat. He's not like... Mr. Smudge, who's just portly. Uh, this cat is like, seriously, this cat is as big as a bobcat, dude. He is, like, I've got a stuffed bobcat in my house. This cat would probably be bigger than a stuffed bobcat. That's one that if you let outside, it's not going to come back with the birds. It's going to come back with some chihuahua Maltese type dog. <laughs> so you better be careful living next to her, man. I how would you feel if I brought my stuffed bobcat to the up here to the station one day? Yeah. My I'm wife, sure. there was a year where I was covering Texas football. This was several years ago. And my wife was going to Texas State tailgates, like alumni tailgates. She would take him to tailgate, the tailgate parties and like, it would put, like put him on a skateboard or something and drag him around. Brown, yeah. It would put a Texas State shirt on him, a little Texas State collar. Stuffed animal day at the horn. Yeah. It's the ugliest bobcat you've ever seen. Like he was very, uh, a very sickly looking bobcat, but he's a stuffed bobcat nonetheless. My wife's grandfather killed it. Got out on their property. Got to, got to save the. He worked on a turkey farm, Cam. So you got. Oh, got you to, turn, I, I thought you were talking about like, like a stuffed. No, dude, this is like a this is like a taxidermy oh, okay. stuffed bobcat. Okay, yeah, I forgot we're in Texas. Yeah, yeah. This is, yeah. This, is real, this is real life, son. Yeah, dude, he's an ugly looking bobcat. Like, I'll, when I get to the house later, I'll text you a picture Let's of him. Like, it, you can yeah. see, like he's like, oh my gosh, like he's a a homely looking bobcat, but he's stuffed nonetheless. All right.
Uh, a British man was detained. This is our last one. A British man was detained after climbing. Cam, see if this doesn't give you the heebie-jeebies. You got the fear of heights yeah, or anything? Yeah, okay. real bad, real bad. See if it doesn't make your stomach queasy. He was detained after climbing more than halfway up the world's fifth tallest skyscraper in Seoul, but only with his bare hands. Unbelievable. On Monday. More than 90 emergency police and other personnel were dispatched to the 123-story, 555-meter, that's 1,820 feet, for those of us who are smart enough not to use the... Uh, the metric system. Uh, this is the Lotte, L-O-T-T-E, Lotte World Tower. Uh, after the man was spotted scaling the building on Monday morning, the Seoul Fire Agency said in a statement, the man in his 20s reached the 72nd floor. Again, that's about 1,020 feet high before officials took him to a gondola lift and moved him inside the building. South Korean media identified the man as free climber George King Thompson. The report said he was carrying a parachute and told police that he wanted a base jump from the top of the building. <laughs> Fire and police authorities didn't immediately confirm the man's name or his motive to the Associated Press. Uh, this guy was arrested in 2019 after scaling the Shard in London, the UK's tallest skyscraper at just over 1,000 feet. After the owners of the building pressed charges against him for trespassing, he got six months in prison for that. He actually served three before he got Jeez. out. Uh, in 2021, he climbed the 36-story Stratosphere Tower, a residential block in East London, Stratford neighborhood, and reached the top in less than half an hour. He said he picked the building because he was shocked by the flash floods that recently hit the area and wanted to raise awareness to the seriousness of climate change. Police uh, confirmed that they took custody of the man but didn't provide any further details. How much would it take for you to do that? There's no money, no amount of money on the face of the planet that would get me to climb with my bare hands up the side of a building. I wouldn't do it up the side of this building, the building we're in right now. <laughs> No way. With just your bare hands, nothing else? Hell no. I mean, at least he has the parachute, Mm -hmm. but I looked down once, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. You know, uh, I do have occasional things, and I'm like, oh, that would be fun to try. Base jumping has never crossed my mind as an activity that I just just have to try before my time on Earth is done. I'm good. I'm good. I like the ground. I like where my feet can be flat. You know, like Rodney Terry likes saying to live where my feet are? I like living where my feet are, which is on the ground, not in the air. And I can't even watch it. It's not like, hey, I'll sit back and watch you do it. Nope, yeah. I'm good. You I, can do whatever you want. I'll take I'm that same literally. Over here. Yeah, dude. You you go do you, and I'll I'll be over here by myself. All right, it's going to do it for hour one. We're already into hour two. We'll keep it going when we come back on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.